He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is an internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. This is episode 5 and I am Scott Gardner. And right off the bat, I want to give some thanks. First of all, to Darren Schroeder, who runs the Jonah Hex Corral website, which you can find at www.lonely.geek.nz forward slash Jonah Hex, all one word, dot HTML, or simply just Google uh, Jonah Hex Corral. Corral is spelled C-O-R-R-A-L. It's the Jonah Hex Corral website. Darren has uh, posted a link to this show, and uh, I really appreciate him spotlighting me on his awesome, awesome website. You know, for quite a while now, I'm thinking it's been at least a couple of years, at the bottom of that page, Darren has actually credited me with a contributor credit to that site. And I've long bragged about it. I, I think that's totally awesome. I mean, all I really did was I just pointed out, you know, some Jonah Hex appearances that uh, the site didn't have up, you know, because that site is very comprehensive for Jonah Hex uh, appearances and just general Jonah Hex information. And I just happened to point out to him a few Jonah Hex appearances that didn't already show up on the site, and he gave me that credit. So I thought that was awesome. It's, it's an absolute highlight for me. Long before I ever dreamed about getting into podcasting or doing a Jonah Hex uh, podcast myself. So I think that's great. Also, big thanks and a bit of a disclaimer coming up. Um, big thanks to Dwayne Hendrickson of the Matching Dragoons site. You can find that at... Uh, Jonah Hex, all one word, dot blogspot dot com. The site is called Matching Dragoons. That's spelled D R A G O O N S. And it's another awesome Jonah Hex site. And I just happened to stumble across a blog post that Dwayne made on his site talking about this podcast. And here's what he had to say He says, Last year I was toying around with the idea of a Jonah Hex podcast, especially after listening to Tom versus The Flash. But I have a hard enough time running through the issues the way I do without venturing out into uncharted waters of sound and podcasts and stuff. Well, it turns out that Scott Gardner of Two True Freaks just started a Jonah Hex podcast and has three weeks under his belt. Not sure if he plans on covering every single appearance of Jonah. I do. But he has started a body count. And we'll see just how far we differ in our criteria of what constitutes a kill. And it is fun to listen to. And he provides a link and says, head on over, leave a comment or two, and enjoy the audio retelling of Jonah Hex's adventures. And I want to thank Dwayne publicly so much for this. That's really awesome. And it has actually been driving traffic to the show. So I really, really appreciate that. But the part that kind of caught my interest is when he says something here about you know that i had started a body count and then he says and we'll see just how we differ in our criteria of what constitutes a kill i wasn't sure exactly what he was talking about because as i mentioned last show i i didn't want to check out too much stuff of what other people were saying about these early jonah hex adventures because i didn't want to be swayed or influenced or accused of you know ripping anybody off anything like that but i did go and i checked out his reviews, because what he's doing on his site is he is doing basically in a blog format um, what I'm doing with this show, going through all of Jonah Hex's appearances in um, some form of order 
and doing reviews of them. So I went in and looked at the ones that I've already talked about here on the show. And here's the disclaimer part. I discovered to my absolute abject horror that what I thought was such a clever and original idea on my part, the death count, he's actually been doing that. I mean, he has already gone, let's see here, he's gone all the way through Weird Western, all the way through, oh my goodness, okay, he's actually done all of Jonah Hex, you know, Jonah Hex solo series, all 92 issues, and he's gone halfway through the Hex series, which is the, the next thing after that, so... Yeah, he's way, way, way ahead of me. But like I say, I was was mortified, is probably the perfect word to use, to find out that he was doing this. I swear to God, Dwayne, had no idea, buddy. Until he had emailed me last show, sadly, I was not aware of this site, which really surprises me because I thought I had been very thorough um, years ago when I was looking at and when I discovered Darren's website. And actually, I think there is a link to Matching Dragoons on Darren's website. So how that this site escaped me all these years, I have no idea. But I love the site. I will be reading the reviews um, he's done after I've reviewed them myself on the show. But I, I just wanted to assure him <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. And he was very nice about it. I emailed him as soon as I found out. And he said, don't worry about the death toll coincidence uh, some ideas are so great multiple minds will think of them and he had a little smiley face too and he says as far as the injury count because last time around i told you guys i speculated about the idea of actually keeping an injury count on jonah uh, he said i am sadly behind on that because he actually is sort of keeping track of that as well in his reviews he said i had hoped to develop a clickable figure of hex that would list every injury to that appendage well maybe someday i think that's an awesome idea i really think that's cool i it's way beyond my abilities but uh if you have the know-how buddy i say go for it because i think that would be uh, just an absolute who i think that'd be so cool he went on to say, just uh, keep up the good work and that I've got at least five years to go. Well, that's fine. That's fine with me. I hope I've got a lot more than five years to go with uh, Jonah Hex because I'm absolutely loving this so far. And I want to give just an overall thanks to everybody who has been providing me feedback beyond just the Gmail account because I can tell you that it has been overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. I've gotten just the tiniest little bit of constructive criticism. And I actually, I need constructive criticism. I will be the first person to admit that I don't handle criticism very well. I'm working on that. It's a personal flaw of my own that I do recognize. However, I think every facet of our lives needs constructive criticism. You know, so long as it's not, you know, a beat down, but somebody's actually trying to help you. I'm cool with that. I need it. Um, and I have gotten some of it for this show, and even the constructive criticism was positive, so that's that's great. People really seem to love the show, they're really digging it, and I can't tell you how gratifying that is, because I really didn't expect the reaction that I've gotten to this show. So thank you, everybody. I, From the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it. It's, it's great, and it's motivating. Just a couple of emails to address this time around, but I think you're going to like them because I sure did. We've got one entitled Episode 4, and this one's from my buddy Stan Johnston, and it says, Scott, says, during the feedback section of Episode 4, you read an email which asked if you had uh, any plans to include enhanced content in the podcast, and you explained that with your commitments to current podcasts, as well as having a life to live, you don't have the time for it. You then followed that with, I hope that doesn't make me sound lazy. Well, it does, Mr. Gardner. It does. Four measly podcasts a week and you can't manage a little extra time to add a few bells and whistles to one of them? What the fuck? Talk about slothful. Okay, Stan continues. Obviously, that is said with tongue firmly implanted in cheek. Dude, I don't podcast and I don't blog. I listen to other people's podcasts and read other people's blogs. And even as a more or less passive participant, I have some idea of the time investment you make in this. Your wife is either very understanding and supportive, or she can't stand to be in the same room with you. It's um, it's about 20% of one and 80% of the other, and I'll leave you to figure out which is which. <laughs> P- 
people out there listening to what you and your cohorts produce probably don't say thank you often enough. Well, no, you know, that's not really true. I, I do hear thank you quite a bit, and uh, and I really appreciate it. He continues, it's not like you get paid to do this. That's for damn sure. And your only real reward is the enjoyment you get from it and the friends that you might make as a result. But, you know, that's that can't be overestimated. I mean... That may sound very simple and quaint, but no, that that right there is every reason to get into something like this. Because you love it, first of all, but the enjoyment that you get from it and, like you say, the friends that you can make as a result. Because I've met and made amazing friends doing this in a little under two years. I mean, you know, I started doing Two True Freaks with Chris Honeywell. He's my best friend of over 30 years. But like Mike Bailey... Great guy. And I consider him now one of my very best friends. I would not know Mike except through doing podcasts and and meeting him through that. And, you know, there's so many other people I I can say the same thing about. So, yeah, that I can't you can't put a price tag on something like that. You honestly can't. That means more to me than money. It really does. So anyway, he continues, seeming lazy is probably the last thing you have to worry about. Well, thank you very much. I really, that means a lot to me that you say that. It's just, I'm one of those guys where when I'm really into something like this, you know, and this is probably, honestly, the most passionate thing I've ever done, but I always end up feeling at the end of it that, I guess it's Walt Disney syndrome, not to compare myself in any means whatsoever with Walt Disney, don't misunderstand me, but... Walt had a philosophy of no matter how good the things were that he put out there, they could always be plussed or improved. I think that's an excellent model. You know, I mean, what what better model is there in the world? I, I think a lot of businesses and a lot of things out there today could, could benefit greatly by adopting or going back to that model. And it's just, in this particular instance, that's the model I want to use. I always strive to make every project that we put out through the two true freaks feed better and better and better all the time. Ooh, I'm really on a roll today, aren't I? Anyway, I'll continue with his email. He says, I also wanted to say that the comment in my last email about your hex knowledge wasn't hyperbole or hyperbole for our Alabama listeners. Your appreciation of the character has been apparent for some time through things you have said on other podcasts. And obviously if you are doing a show devoted to him, there is more than a passing interest. My own history with Hex is much less fleshed out than yours. I read Rawhide Kid and the like from Marvel before I was really aware of Jonah Hex, and they were short, simple stories reprinted from earlier issues. There wasn't a lot of me, even for me as a 10-year-old, and unfortunately, that became my definition of Western comics. As a result, I only bought the odd issue of Jonah Hex when a particular cover caught my eye. The exception was when Hex would appear in another comic. I always loved when he or another non-superhero character would pop up in Brave and the Bold, JLA, or elsewhere in the DCU. Let me stop right there. That being the case, I have a few things to recommend to you, Stan, and the rest of the listening audience. Things that I think you guys might get a kick out of. Now, please keep in mind, as I've said, and I probably will reiterate this point a zillion times over the course of the, the years of this podcast... I'm not a Western fan by any stretch of the imagination. I know Jonah Hex is a Western character, but it's not my genre. I'm hoping, though, that that translates into, you know, if I really don't dig Westerns, yet I recommend a Western story, then that must mean that it's, you know, it really stands out or whatever. I don't know. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from on this. You mentioned the Rawhide Kid. There was a miniseries, and I'm struggling to remember what year it came out, I only ever picked it up because this was at a time when I was collecting every single thing that John Byrne did, no matter if it was a story he wrote, drew, inked, whatever, or sometimes in this case, just a cover that he did. Well, he did the cover to the first issue of this. It was a four-issue miniseries. It was simply called The Rawhide Kid. And I still, to this day, have not read the fourth issue. I don't own it, so I'm still trying to find it. But based strictly on the first three issues, I would recommend it because I think you'd like it. It basically is the last tale of the Rawhide Kid, and he finds himself, you know, in, I believe it takes place at the turn of the, you know, of the 19th to the 20th century, and he just feels like, you know, an old, out-of-place, out-of-time 
old gunfighter. And it was just a really good story. No, it's been a long time since I read it, so I can't give you a lot of details. It just really impressed me as a kid, and this was way before my Jonah Hex days. So it's you know for it to stand out like that, I would like to think means that it was a really good story. So I'll recommend that one. Two that I read relatively not long ago that uh, I would highly recommend were two from Marvel. One was called Blaze of Glory. And again, I'm sorry, I can't remember what year this thing came out. I think it was four issues. But anyway, it was basically the last hurrah of Marvel's Western universe. All of their characters got together. And it was like the Rawhide Kid, the Two-Gun Kid, the... uh, Oh, all those guys. Caleb Hammer. I think Solomon Kane may have been in it. There was just a whole slew of all of their Western characters. And it's a pre-Max title book, but it sure as hell reads like a Max book. It reads like a Jonah Hex tale is what it is. a lot grittier, a lot edgier than anything Marvel had ever done prior to that point, Western-wise, in my opinion, at least of what I'm aware of. Also, another one called Apache Skies, which feels like it's a spin-off slash sequel type of thing to Blaze of Glory. I cannot for the life of me remember what character it focuses on, if it was even a a pre-existing character, if it's a brand new character. I just don't remember. Both of them, though, written by John Ostrander. Apache Skies is a Marvel Max title, so just be aware of that. Both of them were fantastic reads, though, and I really, really liked them. Lastly, you mentioned uh, Brave and the Bold, and when non-superhero characters would guest star, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I used to like it when, he, uh, like, Commandy would would be in there, because, I mean, Batman and Commandy by Apparel, just some awesome stuff. But uh, one in particular that I wanted to point out to you, just in case you might not be aware of it. Now, Jonah Hex, unfortunately, never did pop up in the pages of Brave and the Bold, which is a real shame. That would have been really, really cool. However... Batman did team up with the guy that we'll see way, way, way down the road after Jonah leaves Weird Western Tales. It was taken over by Scalp Hunter, um, Kiwanote. And uh, Batman did travel by extremely stupid means back to the Old West in Brave and the Bold number 171 and actually teamed up with Scalp Hunter in that issue. It's pretty cool. Again, I don't, I'm fuzzy on the details of it. I just thought it was really cool because, again, two of my favorite characters. So there's a couple of recommendations for you. Back to the email once more. He continues, As I got older and wiser, I discovered that Jonah Hex was nothing like those Marvel Westerns. I managed to acquire a number of back issues during the 90s when I bought collections from people, but that still only amounted to a couple dozen comics. It became one of those backburner projects for me. If I got more issues when I bought a bunch of comics from someone, that was great, but I never went out of my way to find them. Then when DC relaunched the series a few years ago, my interest was rekindled, and I did begin to actively seek back issues. Unfortunately, I'd waited too long, and the early issues of the original series were going for quite a bit. In the time since, they have only gotten more expensive, and I have had trouble even finding copies of a lot of the issues from the later half of the series. I still hope to complete my collection one day, but it may take a while. Well, it depends on what series you're talking about, Stan, because I found um, the Jonah Hex series, the 92-issue series. I I find those fairly... Even number one seems to be fairly cheap and fairly commonplace. And I'm talking strictly eBay here. Um, Weird Western Tales, though, yeah, that that one can be more of a challenge. For some odd, bizarre reason, the last Jonah Hex issue that that i needed for my collection that you know that was actually a jonah hex book not some appearance somewhere the one that was just a nightmare for me to find was weird western tales number 35 don't ask me why there's nothing special or valuable or anything about that issue it's just an issue but for some odd reason i couldn't put a hand to that thing i did finally get one and thankfully didn't pay a fortune for it but yeah some of those are just i don't know if it's print run i don't know what it is but some are nightmarishly hard to find compared to other issues but keep plugging away at it you know you never know and uh and maybe at some future point through the forums or something like that maybe we can even set up a little thing where uh you know, all the listeners kind of compare notes and help each other out on uh, on assisting their fellow listeners with plugging holes in their collections or something to that effect. I think that would be very cool. Enough rambling, he says. I really enjoy the depth to which you are diving into these comics, and the fact that you are reading from the issues adds a lot of color to the mental picture 
I have as you describe the action. Well, I appreciate you saying that because I kind of worried if it seemed lazy on my part to just read out of the comic, but I love, I love the dialogue in these, so that's largely why I do it. I'm not sure I've encountered another comic book podcast that takes that approach. I'm also enjoying the death count and, of course, your discussion of the ads. I always enjoy the house ads from this era as well as other oddities that stuck in my mind over the years. The ads of today just don't have the character that some of the ones from the Bronze Age had. You know, especially the ones for, like, live monkeys and shit like that. As a suggestion, you might consider keeping an eye on the letters pages as well, just to see if any future pros pop up. It's something I always try to watch for when reading through old comics. Later, Stan. Thank you very much, Dan. And I will do that. I don't focus heavily on the letters pages, but I do always just peruse them in case there might be something of interest that I figure you guys might like to hear about on the show. But again, thank you very much for the feedback. I really appreciate it. And you brought up a lot of great points. We have one more email for this episode, and I have to admit right up front, this email absolutely made my day when I read it, and here's why. It's entitled, Have You Ruined Me? And then in parentheses it says, No, no, keep reading. <laughs> it says, Hi, Scott. It says, Thought this time I'd contact the official feedback site instead of just Facebooking you. I'm sure you were wondering about the title of this communique. And the title again was, Have You Ruined Me? Well, have you? This is the very first podcast I have ever listened to, and I must say I am really enjoying it. Unlike most of your listeners, I am married to a die-hard Hex fan and have been for officially 14 years now. Congratulations. Even his childhood dog in 1986 was named Jonah, and despite giving him the gift that left him speechless a few Christmases ago... Uh-oh. Should I read this part on the air? I'm just teasing. The gift was All-Star Western number 10. Oh, that's awesome. The only hex he did not own. I knew very little of the character. In fact, virtually nothing. Not liking the Western genre and having no friends or roommates that read that comic title, I just chalked it up to another thing my hubby liked. But now you have ruined me. I am really enjoying your podcast and am fully realizing why it is so integral to him and how it defined how he now is. And here's the ruining part. I love it. Can all podcasts out there be so good as to make me like and understand something so unlike me? I think not. I don't think you need to change really anything about your format. My husband gets to relive the issues with sideline commentary that keeps it fresh, and I get to understand the character and stories without delving into another box of comics I have no time to read. I have enough of my own. Oh, I'd really love to know what you read. Really would like to know. You are a great storyteller, and I like the accents and dynamic reading style you give it, so don't drop it. We are talking about comic books here. A little over-dramatization via quote-unquote corny dialogue styles only makes it better. Not that you are corny, you just seem to think it is at times. Well, it can, it can be, yeah. But your cast is fun and still sincere in its treatment of the character. Your love of the subject comes through without being pompous. Thank you. It is great to get to know my spouse from another facet. Thanks for taking me there. Well, before this gets too pitifully mushy and adoring, I'll sign off with a simple good job. Looking forward to next week. Now if I could only get my other half to actually email you his own darn self. You two would have some great chats. Hooked in California, Angela Orton. Angela, you absolutely made my day. This was... I, I'm overwhelmed by the positivity in this, in this email. I'm, I'm virtually speechless, which, ask anybody, is really, really hard <laughs> to accomplish. But thank you so much. That, you know, the, 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 the best part of this to me is that and gosh, this is going to sound terribly big-headed, but if I understand you properly, you're basically saying that even after 14 years of marriage, and again, congratulations, I wasn't being facetious about that. I respect deeply the institution of marriage, and in this country today, marriages last, what, like a half an hour? So 14 years? Way to go. Excellent. But to actually be able to bring you guys closer in some small way after all that amount of time 
that again, you know, these are the reasons I podcast. These are the reasons why I love doing this and thank you very much because every time I get discouraged, these are the emails and the feedbacks that pick me right back up and dust me off and and send me on my way back out there to podcast some more. So thank you so much. And yeah, kick your hubby in the ass and tell him to uh, send me an email sometime. Lastly, real quick before we go into the episode proper, I have a movie recommendation for you. And shocker of shockers, it's a Western. But, you know, I was just, I was in a Western mood the other day and I got to thinking, I've had this DVD sitting around the house for God knows how long. It's called Appaloosa, and that's spelled A-P-P-A-L-O-O-S-A. It's a movie from 2008. It's a Western that stars Ed Harris, one of my absolutely favorite actors. Now, he played John Glenn in The Right Stuff and Gene Kranz in uh, Apollo 13, just to name a couple of his roles. He was also uh, Bud, whatever his name was, in The Abyss. You've seen him around. You, You know the guy. Um, Viggo Mortensen from uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Renee Zellweger is in it. Jeremy Irons is the dirtbag bad guy in it, and he's excellent in this. And uh, Lance Henriksen, who I didn't even recognize, he's in this too. Um, Music by Jeff Beal, which is a name I don't recognize, but man, I really liked the score to this movie. That's it playing underneath me right now. Really, really solid Western. Basic premise of it is that uh, Jeremy Irons, he's a really bad guy. He does some really bad things. And Ed Harris and uh, Viggo Mortensen, they're these, like, traveling... I guess you could consider them gunfighters, but what they really are is they're like lawmen for hire. They go to these towns that are having law trouble that don't have lawmen of their own, and they basically are hired by the by the towns to be their lawmen but there's there's a catch involved there that's actually very interesting but they basically are there to clean up the town and damn was it good it was a really solid solid movie solid western i i think you'll get a kick out of it i enjoyed it quite a bit and ed harris is great in this he's just a take no shit tough badass gunfighter lawman and it was really good i enjoyed it so check it out that's appaloosa okay and now it is time for the main event we are looking this week at weird western tales by dc comics number 13 this is uh the august september 1972 issue original cover price now only 20 cents that's down five cents from uh, previous issues and i'll get back to that strange bit of price reduction a little bit later in the show cover on this one by tony dizaniga this is one of my favorites of the entire run of weird western tales it's hard to describe it's just got some odd coloring to it that really makes it dynamic and makes it stand out it's this guy and he's sitting by a campfire he's got this big pot in his hand probably coffee inside of it and he's spying over his shoulder at the silhouetted forms of jonah hex and iron jaws the timber wolf are standing on this hill behind him this this fog and shrouded hill and they're staring at him and he's just spotted them and it shows him like slowly trying to reach for his uh his holster that's laying on the ground but it's just really dynamic. The the uh, the glowing effect on the guy as the fire like lights him up is is really cool. It's very there's a lot of yellow in it, but it's just an odd bit of coloring. It almost looks almost like day glow or something, but it's it's really interesting. I, I've I, I've just never really seen a cover quite like this. What's also interesting is that the figures of Hex and Iron Jaws, the only thing you can see in them is their eyes. And with Iron Jaws, you're seeing both of his wolf eyes looking out of the fog. But with Hex, it's only the scarred, you know, the scarred side of his face, that one big eye he's got because his cheek is drawn down because of the scarring. So he's got just the one eye, and it looks really comical, but without being like, you know, with with it without it ruining the cover. It's, but it it is it is a little bit funny looking. If you go to the website, you'll see it. I always post the covers to the issues up there, so you'll be able to take a look at it. 
But what's also really funny, and I'm going to get a little crude for just a moment, I apologize. But I noticed on this cover, as much as I love it, the guy sitting by the fire, there's actually nothing drawn that he's sitting on. So if you have kind of a twisted sense of humor like mine, it almost looks like he's um, roasting his chestnuts by an open fire, I guess would be the nicest way to put it. And also I got to thinking, you know, if this guy breaks wind, he's going to set his pants on fire. So probably not that smart to be that close and actually sitting on the fire. But that's kind of, you know, if you glance at it twice or to take time to, to really stare at the cover, you'll... It does, after a while, start to look like he is actually squatting his ass over this fire, which is just, that's not good fire safety, folks. Anyway, I'm sorry, that was horrible. The lead feature in this issue is Jonah Hex, and the issue opens with this. The sound of the shot cut through the silent wind like an invisible bolt of lightning, and an instant later the man who had sat hidden behind the sun-baked boulders stood upright. A spidery vein of red trickled down from the tiny ominous hole in his flesh. Then slowly, he slumped quietly into death. And what it is, is we have an opening splash that shows this guy, and he's up amongst some boulders, and we're seeing everything from his perspective, basically, and Hex is riding General, and Iron Jaws is running alongside, and Hex, whose face is, again, all darkened, He's just popping off around and taking this guy out. It's a really dynamic uh, opening splash. I love this piece of art. And it continues, What had alerted the rider to the danger of this ambush? Is he the recipient of some strange premonition? Is he the possessor of some sixth sense that permits him to see that which is invisible to any living mortal? Or is this man, this vicious hired gunfighter, in league with the devil? Jonah Hex in... The Killer's Last Wish. Credits on this issue, again, very simple. Script, John Albano. Art, Tony D. Zuniga. And editor, Joe Orlando. So turning to page two, Jonah peers down from his mount at the dead man and laments to Iron Jaws how there's always some jackal on hand to welcome them to new parts. And as he rides away, Jonah says, Anyway, there's one less skunk a-breathing this fresh Wyoming air now. So sometime later, Hex is riding up to a ranch when Iron Jaws smells trouble. Hex spots a rifle barrel sticking out from behind a wagon. Someone is waiting to bushwhack him. Hex, a mite fed up with such welcoming committees, shoots the hat off the ambusher's head. You got just two seconds to come out with your hands empty, mister, before my next blast takes the top of your sneaking skull off. And we see this old man and he thinks to himself, That voice! he stands up and he goes, It's him! Ain't another man on earth got as gravel a voice as Jonah Hex. Hold your fire, you ugly son of a desert rat. It's me, Wendy. Wendy Taylor. The critter who first showed you how to use those blasted irons. And Hex says, Well, I'll be doggoned. So soon after, Taylor tells Hex that he wasn't expecting him until tomorrow and that he'd mistaken him for one of them varmints that have been trying to run him off his ranch. Hex is thankful that age has apparently slowed Taylor's reflexes and comments how, once upon a time, weren't a gunfighter in the West that could have stood up to Wendy Taylor. Hex shows Wendy the dead man, who he brought with him draped over the back of his horse, and Taylor identifies the man as one of them and laughs at the results of the man having tried to ambush Jonah Hex. So Hex takes the body and he says, I'll plant him in the ground while you make us some of that poison you call coffee, Wendy. And Wendy says, Bury him over yonder with some of his skunk friends so he don't get lonely. So presently, as Hex finishes the burial, he asks Taylor about all the other mounds, and Wendy says they're more of Fenric's varmints that came a-gunning for him. Must be discouraging for Mr. Fenric to have to keep on hiring new gunslingers, he says. So Fenric, Taylor says, is the boss man trying to run him off his ranch. He's trying to build a ranching empire and won't be satisfied till he owns the whole Wyoming territory. Which, I got to think, and thank you, Mr. Taylor. That tells us now where our story is taking place, but also even a time frame is provided because Wyoming existed as a territory between uh, 1868 and 1890, so this places it somewhere in that area. Anyway, back inside... 
Hex asks if this is why Wendy sent for him. Indignant, Taylor says that he can handle them saddle bums, but before he can tell Jonah the real reason he called for him, he is interrupted by the sounds of gunfire. Rushing outside, they see more of Fenric's men riding off, and Taylor is dismayed to find every one of his steers has been killed. Minutes later, Jonah saddles up, telling Taylor to stay put lest he be lured away and Fenric's men might return and put the torch to his place. He asks Wendy to tie up Iron Jaws for him and is about to head off when Taylor shouts that this isn't what he called Jonah for. He asked him there to help straighten out Taylor's son. Hex says that he'll hear all about it when he returns. So later, some miles away, Fenric himself receives a report from his men about the dead steers. Fenric congratulates the men and asks them to join him in a drink, but they refuse and request their payment. They're getting the hell out of Dodge because they saw what became of their partner who was supposed to take out the gunman that Taylor called for. This is a reference to the man that Hex killed in the opener. And now that man is sleeping under six feet of dirt on the old man's ranch and the gunman is none other than Jonah Hex, his own bad self. So Fenric says, I gather it's someone well known to the both of you. And one of the guys says, Mr. Fenwick, anyone in the West that hasn't heard of a gunswift demon named Jonah Hex has been born deaf and dumb. So the men are paid, and that evening they ride out. They eventually stop to make camp, and the men discuss Jonah Hex. Reckon Hex will be a coming after us for killing the old man Steers, Boone? And Boone says, Don't rightly know, Will. Anyway, we put enough trail behind us to be safe tonight. So they stop, and Boone says, you get a fire started. I'll unsaddle the horses. And Will says, What they say about that Jonah, him having some kind of immortality, and being able to cast spells over his enemies, you think? I think it's all hogwash. Only thing I believe is that he's a paid killer who likes his job. So Will, he's left alone for a moment, he says, Boone's right. As soon as he finishes gathering some wood, I'll get a nice fire going and, What's that? And he hears something moving in the brush behind him, and he turns around and he sees a shadow, and he fires at it. He says, it's a wild steer. And we see, bam, as he shoots his gun at it. He rushes over to see what he shot. And <laughs> he's dismayed to find Boone laying there. And Boone says, Will, you fool, you shot me. What? And Will says to himself, I don't understand. It was a steer coming at me. I shot a steer and, and he turned into Boone on the ground. Boone, I didn't mean to kill you. I thought I saw... He can't hear you, varmint. You're talking to a dead man. Who said that? Who? Where are you? Answer me, blast your ornery hide. Answer me, Jonah Hex. That's who it is. Only you're not going to get me, you blasted devil. I've killed just as many men as you, and nobody's ever caught me yet. But as the frightened desperado races blindly from the dense underbrush into a clearing, he unexpectedly finds himself hurtling through space. And we see this great panel of Will, and he's plummeting off a cliff, and there's all these bats all gathered around him as he falls, and he's going, ah, and he's going, oh, God, no! It's a great panel. And the last panel on this page, it says, and an instant later, his squirming form takes a sickening thud on the rocks below. And it's a great panel showing just how far a fall this is off this cliff, and we see Jonah standing on the precipice, just kind of casually looking over the edge. It's really awesome. Meanwhile, back at Wendy Taylor's ranch, a mysterious figure rides up in the dark and very nearly gets his head blown off. The figure shouts out, Hold on, Pa! It's me, Todd! He dismounts and asks his father if his eyesight has gotten so bad that he doesn't even recognize his own son, to which Taylor responds that the boy lit out so fast after their last argument that he didn't think he'd ever come back. Taylor starts to tell his son about having asked Jonah to track him down when he realizes that Todd is packing. Todd states that he's sick of Taylor's treatment of him, and he's leaving. Taylor protests, but Todd won't be talked out of it. He's heading east. So Taylor turns from his son, saying that he has a right to choose where he wants to live, and Todd says that he'll need a heap of money to live there. That's why I have to kill you. And he guns his father down, sending dollar bills flying everywhere. As the old man gasps out his last breaths, he asks, Why? I was going to give you the money. And Todd's horrified. He says, y You were going to give it to me? To help you get started when you made it east and you shot. Blast you, Pa! Why didn't you give it to me before? I asked you a thousand times for traveling money and you always refused. That's why I had to make the deal with Fenric. You convinced him there weren't a man alive could get close enough to gun you. 
unless it were someone you trusted. That's why he offered me $500 to do the job. We get a great panel of Iron Jaws is straining at his collar to try to get to this guy, and he's growling and snarling. And as Todd rides off, we're treated to another panel looking out the open door of the cabin where Taylor lies dead as Iron Jaws howls at the sky. Hours later, Fenric pays Todd for a job well done. Todd regrets aloud that his father hadn't willed him the ranch or he'd be receiving even more cash for his deed. Fenric tells him there is a way to make even more money. Take out the gunman his father had sent for. Kill Jonah Hex. But Todd, not totally stupid, reasons that Fenwick must have a couple of thousand dollars in his little metal box, and so guns Mr. Fenwick down and takes the money, commenting to himself on how this has been a most profitable day. Taking every precaution to be avoided, Todd sets his course east, using a trail he'd mapped out years before, a trail known only to a few hunters and trappers, But late that same evening, as he rests and waters his exhausted beast, he thinks to himself, Too dark to keep going. Better lay up here till daylight. Wish I could get rid of this odd feeling that's been plaguing me for the last couple of hours. Keep thinking there's someone or something watching me. Like that shadow alongside that tree. The more I stare at it, the more it takes the shape of... Jumping Jehoshaphat! And he looks up on the ridge, and there's Jonah Hex and Iron Jaws. And Todd says, Who? And Jonah says, Go ahead, boy. Reach for it if you have a mind to. You're mighty anxious to trade lead, mister. Only I'd like to know who it is I'm about to kill. Hex. Jonah Hex. And a few hours ago, I found an old man dying from a bullet wound in his back. Only the old fellow wouldn't tell me who gunned him. So the wolf and me been following the killer's trail. A trail leading east. All right. So now you and that smelly beast have tracked me. I'm still heading east, Hex, though you undoubtedly aim to try to stop me. You know, I've heard of how many men your gun has sent on a one-way trip to hell, but... Cut the speeches and draw. With the blinding speed that is born of fear, Todd's gun clears the holster, but before it can be leveled at its target, before the trigger can be drawn back, his adversary's weapon has already spoken, and a tiny piece of lead is now hurtling on its mission of death. And we get a great... It's like the top, uh, I'd say, fourth of the page is broken up into these four panels that do a stage of movement showing Todd trying to draw his gun and being outgunned by Hex. It's one of those art tricks, like, say, how they used to show the uh, after images of the Flash when he was running at super speed. It's, It's that sort of effect. Very dynamic here. Quickly, the message of mortal pain numbs the brain of the doomed desperado, leaving his body to function on willpower alone. Willpower so strong it drives his quivering legs whirling around. Then, with eyes that no longer see, the body is carried a step forward. Then another step. But finally, the legs slowly crumble and the body topples into the swirling waters. And we see Hex just casually tuck his gun back into his gun belt. The following morning in town, folks are gathered around watching as Hex departs. One fellow says, That him? The gunfighter called Jonah Hex? Another fellow says, Yep, brought in two bodies to the Undertaker just now, Wendy Taylor and his son. A third guy says, I hear tell. Jonah instructed the Undertaker to bury the old man on his ranch, but not his son Todd. And a fourth guy says, That's right, he done left orders to have that young killer's body shipped east for burial. I reckon he's keeping a promise to someone, and that's the end. All right, I like this story, but it's not my preferred style of tale for Jonah Hex to participate in because it feels more or less like standard Western fare. Jonah ultimately could be any other gunfighter in this story. There's not enough Jonah Hexness, if you know what I mean, to this particular adventure. So, I mean, it's by no means bad or anything. It's just, unfortunately, so far, not my favorite one. However, don't let this tale put you off, because any shortcomings this issue's Jonah Hex tale may have had will be more than made up for by next issue's awesome yarn. I promise, it's a good one. Despite not being all that keen on the story, the art continues to be absolutely fantastic. It's really, really good in this one. Very gritty, very realistic, very dark. I really like it. I love the way people are drawn in this issue, particularly Jonah. 
the opener to this one, again, gets back to this concept, almost seems to drive home this concept of Hex as a supernatural being. I think I said before, I don't care for Hex to be that way. It's one of the things that kept me from going to the theater to see the new Hex movie, because judging strictly by the trailer, mind you, it looked like they went that route. I'm just not crazy about that. And thankfully, that will kind of fall by the wayside here eventually. On that subject of things that we will see eventually, I am making a conscious effort not to spoil ahead as much as possible because I realize that a good portion of the listeners are getting in on the ground floor of Jonah with this podcast. So I want it to flow naturally for them without jumping ahead and and bringing in things from later in Jonah's history. But one thing I have to talk about It's probably my biggest problem with this story is this idea of Wendy Taylor being a friend and apparently some former mentor to Jonah. I mean, he says outright that he taught Jonah how to shoot. Now, I could be dead wrong, but I don't think this guy is ever mentioned again. I mean, in the future, we will get Jonah's backstory. We will get his origin story, if you will. And a lot of the details of Jonah's backstory and early life are filled in. And I'm pretty sure that Wendy Taylor is not a part of that later on. Plus, I just plain like that opener. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. You know, granted, we're not using that yet. That comes along later. So, again, I'm, I am spoiling ahead just a little bit. So, that has not yet been established. So, maybe that's not a fair criticism that, that bothers me that Jonah has a buddy in this one. But I like him as the tough, badass loner. I just do. Do I never want him to have any friends or, or acquaintances or or hunt up an old mentor or something like that? No. And this instance doesn't make me like hate this story or anything. It's just, I think that's the part that bugs me and keeps it from being one of my favorites. Very nice to see Iron Jaws again. I like the moments with him in this. He didn't have a whole lot to do, but the shot of him howling over Taylor's dead body, that was a nice touch. I really liked that. Going back to the cover price, the uh, now only 20 cents circle that's on the cover, that's due to reduced page count on this title now. We've gone from having several co-features to just one. This will be the way it is for a while. However, what a co-feature it is for this time around. We have El Diablo by Carrie Bates and Neil Adams. And wow, it's beautiful. The story's called, believe it or not, Night of the Living Dead. I'm not making that up. And oddly enough, this is reprinted in, of all places, Saga of Raza Ghul, number one from 1988. I don't know what the story has to do with Raza Ghul, but there you go. The Jonah Hex portion of this issue has been reprinted in a couple places as well. The uh, You'll remember a while back I mentioned a Jonah Hex trade paperback from 2007 that was released in Finland. It doesn't appear that that book is in English, and it, essentially it looks like the Finland release of the showcase. So this is probably the last time I'm going to mention that particular one. It is, of course, reprinted in Showcase Presents Jonah Hex Volume 1 trade paperback from 2006. The El Diablo story, in addition to being reprinted in Saga of Ra's al Ghul number one, is also reprinted in Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales number one from 1979 and DC Universe Illustrated by Neil Adams hardcover from 2008. Lest anybody think I'm skimping on the ads in this particular issue, just trust me that there's really not anything worth noting in this one. We've got a uh, your standard Aurora ad, your you know build a better body ad, that sort of thing. But there's not any worth noting, really. But believe me, I will spotlight them as noteworthy ones do pop up. A couple other things of note is the fact that there is no letters page in this particular issue, which is kind of odd. And one of the bad guys in the El Diablo story, again, drawn by Neil Adams, looks like he ripped off the clothes from Marvel's Frankenstein character. It's actually pretty funny. Well, you know what that means. That brings us to the death count. Now, keep in mind, there was actually a pretty high mortality rate in this particular issue, but the death count only applies to people actually killed by Jonah Hex himself. 
So for this issue, we have one shot right on the opening splash page, one guy chased off a cliff, and one guy outdrawn. That's a total of three people killed by Jonah Hex in this particular issue. I'm not counting, by the way, the guy that was mistakenly shot because the other guy thought he was a steer. That death could arguably be attributed to Jonah Hex, but since Hex didn't directly kill him or cause him to be killed, I'm not counting that particular one. I'll be very interested to see if Dwayne did count that one on his blog. I'll look at that right after the show. The death count tally so far for every issue we've looked at is now up to two already dead, 16 shot, one stabbed, one allowed to die, one chased off a cliff, and one outdrawn. That's a total of 22 men killed by Jonah Hex so far. Next time, Weird Western Tales, number 14. It's a hell of a good story. Please join me. I think you'll really like it. For the Jonah Hex Podcast, I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very, very much for listening. Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast, is produced in association with the Two True Freaks Podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hi, my name is Paul Spataro. Back in 2004, my family lost my older brother, Michael, to pancreatic cancer. Before Michael was diagnosed with this disease, I really didn't know too much about it. But the truth of the matter is, it's a devastating disease, and in general, once somebody is diagnosed with it, it's too late to actually help them. I've learned that pancreatic cancer is the nation's fourth leading cause of cancer death and that the survival rate for the disease has not improved in 25 years. I also learned about the Lustgarden Foundation. That's a foundation that's named after a man named Mark Lustgarden. Mr. Lustgarden was a 
high-ranking executive in the company of Cablevision. And when he was diagnosed with the disease, despite the fact that he was a wealthy man, there was nothing that could be done. And unfortunately, he passed away from the disease as well. Moved by that loss, Cablevision has started a foundation in his honor. And they've generously underwritten all expenses of that foundation so that any fundraising efforts can be used strictly towards research of pancreatic cancer. I learned of the Lust Garden Foundation shortly after my brother passed away, and I started that year walking in its Long Island fundraiser walk. And I've walked every year since. This year the walk is going to be on July 25th. I will be walking along with my wife, my son, my daughter, my mother, my sister, and other family members. We walk as Team Spataro in an effort to raise funds, raise awareness, and to honor my brother. I hope you would consider donating to this worthwhile cause. There will be a link to our team page on this podcast's homepage. Please consider clicking on that link and donating. And keep in mind, no amount is too small. There will be people who donated very, very generously, but don't be swayed by that. Any amount will help and brings us that much closer to a cure. Nobody should have to suffer the way my brother did, and I hope that one day, through the efforts of the Lust Garden Foundation, all such suffering can be ended. I thank you for your consideration. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn.com. Life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man. Hey there, Thomas Maddox here, host of Thomas's Prerogative over at the Shaft Podcast. I'm here to announce the Shaft Podcast fun, exciting events that we're bringing to the Metrocon convention. What's Metrocon, you may ask? Well, Metrocon is the largest anime convention in Florida. And the Shaft Podcast is proud to bring four exciting panels that we will be bringing to Metrocon, hosted by yours truly. Now, what are these panels? Well, let me tell you. First, on Friday at 5 p.m. in Room 19, you have Evolution in American Anime, where I will explain to you how American animation had a hand in the creation of anime, and how anime now in turn is coming into American animation. The next panel will be later that night at Room 13 14 special event called Anime Theater Live. You'll take a movie riff on it. That's right. You a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000 or Riff Tracks? This is the event for you because we will be riffing on a movie and you know you know what? If you say a good line that makes everybody laugh, we will give you a prize. Be anything from an anime DVD to manga to many other prizes we'll have with us. Our next event will take the very next day on Saturday in room 18, it will be Thomas's Prerogative Live. Yes, I will be giving my unbiased opinion upon the state of the anime industry. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to be pretty. And then finally on Sunday, we will have another presentation, Anime and New Media. If you want to know where you can find your very favorite anime on the internet, or try to find where you can unite with fans on the internet as well, we'll tell you how to get there. So come down to Metricon from July 23rd to July 25th and join us in our four exciting panels that the Shaft Podcast presents. You can find Metricon by going to www.metroconventions.com and you can also find the Shaft Podcast 
by going to www.animeshaft.com. So, until July, folks, peace. Hello, ladies. Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped downloading lame-ass podcasts and switched to Two True Freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with a man your man could sound like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to Two True Freaks and not lame-asses. I'm on a tauntaun. (laughs) 